So we gotta jump in. We left one verse in chapter nine last week, picking that verse up because it kind of launches us into chapter 10. So Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 38. Because of all this, all what? Rebuilding a city, fixing the walls, putting the gates, putting in some procedures, doing all that, having a revival, renewing the people so that they can live in this rebuilt city, studying God's word, meeting together, having a seven-day Bible camp, getting together, praying, confessing their sins, longest prayer in the Bible. Because of all this, they do this. We make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. They make a firm covenant. Do New Testament Christians make firm covenants? Do believers do this? Like pastors, I have. We'll mock New Year's resolutions, right? Because they're gonna fail, right? You're not gonna keep them. Come February, you're done with them. And we live under grace now, so don't worry about that stuff. Don't make vows, don't make oaths, don't make promises. So do New Testament Christians make covenants? Yes. You know what the big one is? Marriage. Marriage is a covenant, right? Not anymore. There's a very modern view of marriage, right? And I've seen it change in 17 years with the vows, because now it's kind of, hey, I'm gonna write my own vows for my wedding. And I'm like, okay. Oh my goodness, some of these vows. They kind of go like this. Oh, I'm so glad I found you. I knew from day one that you were my soulmate. You're perfect. I just wanna say, time out. She's a sinner. She will sin, okay? She is not perfect. Or the dudes are like, I really, 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 really love you. And I'm really, 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 really glad you chose me. Now, I don't cry at weddings, typically because I'm doing them. It'd be really awkward to be like, oh man, these two are never gonna make it. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna ruin the moment. <laughs> but I want to cry because the modern view of marriage is all enlightenment, all individualistic. And it's missing the Bible. I like the old vow for better, for worse, right? When we're rich or we're dirt poor, when we're healthy or we're sick and dying. I love that one. And we've even softened that one because now it's not until death do us part, it's as long as we both shall live. Can't talk about death at a wedding. I go the other way until the plague kills you and you're a puddle on the ground, right? Here's what that old vow is saying. It's admitting something. It's not always gonna be easy. That marriage according to the Bible is this, two sinners covenanting for one another's future glory. It's all future. It's not past, not looking back at what happened. It's, hey, I saw glory, glimpses of glory in you. And for the rest of my life, till the plague takes me, I am covenanting to see as much of that glory revealed in you as possible, whether it's good or bad. Man, that is marriage. That's a covenant. I love that. No soulmate in it. 
No such thing as a soulmate. Do you know that? If you are searching for your soulmate, you will find him or her right next to Oompa Loompa and they'll be on a unicorn. If you see it, know it. Okay, that's it. But you're not gonna find that. It's two sinners saying we are covenanting before God and man to figure out how much glory we can see revealed in one another. And that's only in that kind of covenant that you can be naked and open with your spouse, not fearing, oh, they might leave me if they find out something. No, I've covenanted with you before God and man to see glory revealed in you. Love that. So do Christians make covenants? Yeah, marriage is the big one. We do that. You look at the apostle Paul in Romans 1.14. He says this, I am obligated. That's covenant language. I am obligated to preach the gospel. He says almost the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6.19. I'm compelled. I don't have any choice. I've got to preach the gospel. And then in chapter 18 of Acts, verse 18, he actually shaved his head after taking a vow. This would be decades, probably 15 years at least of Paul being a new covenant Christian, he takes some kind of a vow and to complete his vow, he shaves his head. So absolutely, we do. But you don't have to. You don't have to take a vow. There's no biblical verse that says, you better take this vow. Just like you don't have to get married. But if you choose to, there's power in it. That two are better than one, right? That your word becomes your bond and something can happen when you covenant. The Bible says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. The big difference between talkers and achievers is one thing. They've got goals. They set goals. They say, hey, I'm gonna head for this thing. This is my aim. I've got something to aim at and I'm going for it. And it makes a massive difference. I tell young people, no goals, no go. You feel like you've been spinning your tires for year after year after year? Maybe... Maybe you need to stop repeating the last 20 years over and over and over again. Maybe the key is I'll make a covenant. And so we get some real Old Testament wisdom as New Testament believers on this whole topic right here. It's brilliant. Let's jump in, check it out. Verse one, chapter 10. See that right there? Any volunteers to come up here and read this? Because I'm not either, right? I'm just not doing that. You know what that is? 84 names of men, just men. Why? Because godly men matter. Covenanting, Bible studying, praying, godly men matter. They will bless their wives, they will love their children, and they will build their community. That's why, right? Not popular today but men matter. I'll give my own life. My mom, I don't know a more incredible believer than my mom. I live with her. I knew her, right? If there was some kind of compromise or some kind of thing that she would change, I would have seen it. My mom, uncompromising, dedicated to the kingdom of Jesus. She just worked, never got remarried while we were still in the house because she said, I'm not doing that to my kids. That was her decision. Nope, don't think it'll be good for my kids. So she put that off, worked loved us, took us to church, read every morning the daily bread to us, did everything she could. I remember many a morning, I'd get up early and we had one bathroom in our house and we'd have to walk down this hallway and her room was right there by the bathroom and her door would be ajar sometimes five in the morning. Every time I was up early to use the bathroom, I'd look in there, she'd be on her knees praying. 
No one more godly than my mom. My dad, polar opposite, broken, bad photograph, bad photograph of a bad photocopy of a bad photocopy of a bad photocopy going back as far as I can tell. A drunk, alcoholic, addict, angry, vengeful, just a totally different. Leaves us, right? Great mom, broken dad. Four kids. My older brother, dead at, he was about ready to turn 36 from addiction, got an automobile accident, got decapitated from it. My sister struggles greatly with addiction. You can ask my wife, we get these phone calls from her when she is just drunk as can be. And it's the same conversation every time. One of the most painful conversations I have to have. My little brother, great guy, love him. Fantastic human being until he's on his drugs. One out of four. Why? Because godly men matter. I know we can be like, oh, the Bible's sexist. The Bible's bigoted, right? It's patriarchal. Or you can say, the Bible's actually true. Men matter. And when you get men and when men become godly, something happens. They lead their families well. They love their wives. They bless their children. They build up communities. They push back against evil, right? That's why right here starts out 84 men. We are covenanting to live a different kind of life. Brilliant. And then here's what happens. Verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who are separated, who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. Check that out, curse and an oath. To walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of, the, of Yahweh our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Men stand up, say, we're doing this. The rest of the people say, okay, we'll follow. You get godly men to start leading. Man, it changes the community. It changes them. And it says this, they took an oath and a curse. This is what they're saying. If we sin God, curse us. Anyone doing that? God, if I fail in my New Year's resolution, curse me. Anyone saying that? I don't. I say, forgive me, have grace on me, have mercy on me. Not them. God, if we fail here, curse us. You know why? Because they were staring at the repercussions of habitual sin. It was right in their face. They were living in the midst of what had happened over generations of sin after sin after sin after sin. Read Lamentations, brutal. Read Ezekiel 1 through 8, brutal. Read Nehemiah chapter 5. The repercussions of their sin were right in their face. So they say, if we start to sin, curse us so we don't go down that road again. Make it hard for us. They took sin seriously. Oh, that we might take sin seriously. Romans 1 has this litany of sin. Just list it out, right? Just sin after sin, everyone. And we can read that list and be like, ah, I don't do that stuff. But it ends in verse 32 like this. There's wrath, there's problems, there's 
just dysfunction coming on those that do these sins and to those that take pleasure in the people that do them. Those that pay money to go to big screens and watch those sins happen. Those that tune into them. Those that approve them as another way to translate that same word. The same stuff is happening to them because when we start to approve it and take pleasure in it, it starts to move us in that direction. It has that power, oh, that we might take sin seriously. And notice, this is public. This is a public oath, right? These names, they're still recorded from us from ah, 2,500 years ago. We still have the names because it's public. They do it in front of all the people. Is accountability something that we should be concerned with? Does accountability help us? It might. So many of you know this. I had shoulder surgery about eight weeks ago. And right after the surgery, uh, the doctor, I had this paper that told me what I could do. And it said, you're going to be in a sling for four to six weeks. He came in and just scratched us all the fours. He's like, no, you're six weeks, bro. And he circled them like, you got to be in this sling for six weeks. Well, I had surgery on Tuesday. So the sixth Sunday, right, that I've been in this sling, I'm thinking, hey, I don't want to wear my sling. It's only two more days. I don't want to wear it on Sunday. I don't want to wear the sling one more, two more days. I did wear it that last Sunday. You know why? My physical therapist comes here. So he's going to see me and be like, bro, really? And then the doctor that did the surgery watches me online. He's going to be like, bro, really? Right, accountability. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll wear it. Man, it can be helpful. Oh, it can be legalistic and all those problems with it. It's one of those things you got to learn. There's help to it. There's help. They do it publicly. So what do they do? Here's what they do. Here's their vow. Number one, here's the covenant. Verse 29c, we will be under God's word. We're entering into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of Yahweh, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We are going to be under God's authority. Whose authority are you under? Whose authority is our country under today? They did this survey on millennials and asked them their, their opinion of certain things. Very fascinating. And one of them was this. I just had to highlight it. Here's what millennials believe. They believe it is more immoral to not recycle than to watch pornography. There's a shift. I'm not saying you shouldn't recycle, right? One's uh, doing something to our planet. The other is destroying your soul. But it seems like we don't care about our soul anymore. Interesting. There's been a shift. Maybe you saw this, PETA, you know, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Just put out a Bible. Changed it a little bit, right? Because there's no God's authority. So they changed it so that they made it animal friendly. Although it's leather bound, animal friendly. <laughs> so in Genesis 22, when Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain and the substitute sacrifice of a ram is found, right? Just a perfect picture of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Mm, can't kill the lamb. So instead, Abraham and Isaac become BFFs with the lamb. And they come down from the mountain, they have a conversation with Sarah about getting a pet, that we should, we should get a dog, but not from those evil breeders, we're gonna get a rescue dog. 
PETA Bible. You know what I call this version? The PETA pit. That's what it is. Whose authority are we under anymore? Who gets to tell you no? Who gets to tell you how to live? Does the internet tell you how to live? Does our government get to tell you how to live? Does your workplace tell you how to live? Because if you work for any kind of a larger corporation, DEI is coming for you. At some point, you're going to have to pinch some incense to Caesar and say, okay, I comply, and sign your name to something. It's coming. Who gets to tell you how to live? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord under his authority. That's how I'm living. That's the authority I answer to. And if you're in my home, that's the same authority you're under. If you want to leave, up to you. Do what you want. In my house, we're serving the Lord. We're under his authority alone. That's our first covenant. Number two, verse 30. They're going to steward sex and marriage. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters to our sons. We're going to steward marriage and sex scripturally. Namely, we're not going to let our kids and we're not going to allow anyone to marry an unbeliever. Hmm. If you're young in here, actually, if you're any age in here, no missionary dating. That doesn't exist in the Bible, right? I have young people who be like, you know, some girl will come up to me like, hey, I met this guy. I'm like, okay, great. Is he a believer? Well, I'm hoping he'll believe. You know what I say? I hope you break up with him until he does. That's what I hope. Or the men come and be like, oh, I met this gal. All right, is she a Christian? No, Matt, but she's hot. So is hell. Okay? What does that mean? (laughs) Too many men are looking for a good time and not to live a godly life, and they miss out on both. And so the Bible says you look for a godly life first. Every study has found this. And this is the only metric they know how to measure, like sociologists and those that aren't believers. Like, how do we actually measure someone that's actually a Christian? So here's their measure. Regular church attendance. That's their measure. Argue with it if you want, but I think it actually matters. What they found is two people that are married, man and woman, in marriage, that are regular church attenders have the highest marital satisfaction. Sexually, Lowest divorce rate of any group of people, regular church attenders, because they said, we are going to do it God's way. Right? So if I want to go catch a steelhead, beautiful, brilliant, king of the fish, right? If I want to catch a steelhead, I'm not fishing at Lake Selmak, right? If you want to find a godly spouse, you will not find him or her at the wonder blur you'll find a crappie, right? Change the O to an A. That's what you're going to find. Fish in the right spots. Look for your spouse in the right spots. Covenant with God. Write out, this is what I want to find in a spouse. I'm going to write down these things. These are the qualities. He's going to love God. He's going to love people. Those are pretty good right there. And if not, I'm out. And say, okay, God, you bring that spouse to me. I'm going to make sure I fish in the right spots, right? That's what they're doing right here. We're not going to compromise. 
If you're in here right now and you are thinking about marrying an unbeliever, I'm gonna say something really hard to you. Jesus says in the Bible, if you love this stuff more than me, you're not worthy of me. I would say your love of Jesus is compromised and you should probably take a step back for a little while and really pray and seek the Lord on that decision because there is something worse than being single. And I talk to him over there all the time and they're miserable because there's all these discussions about how to use money, how to raise your kids, how to live life, what you're gonna allow into your home that come real important when two people are not equally yoked, right? If you're married to an unbeliever, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this, whatever that spouse is, you live such a brilliant, godly, incredible life, and you pray for them until they believe. That's your mission now. You just display how it looks to serve Jesus and the light and the goodness and the abundance it brings into your life. That's what you do right now, okay? And sex. The Bible's real clear. Sex is between a married husband and wife, period. Anything outside of that is sin, right? Well, Matthew, that's hard. Ah, you're not doing it now? Keep not doing it, Okay. That's how you do it. It's that simple. You're covenanting, saying, I'm not going to engage in that. Here's why it matters. When a relationship goes physical for a young man, guess what he thinks about all the time? Yeah, that's the way we're wired. So instead of investing in a woman's heart and her soul and her dreams and her passions and her desires, the things that will carry a marriage through, flourishing, the man thinks about sex. And it stunts the relationship. So God says, love is patient. Lust is not, love is patient. You wait till you get married and then you celebrate and then you'll have a rich, beautiful relationship with her. That's what the Bible says. You can do it your own way if you want to. And right now it's a 50-50 ticket. Half of them end a divorce. Or you can do it the firm covenant of God's way. And it's so much stronger. They make an oath. We're going to be under God's authority. God's authority is going to stretch to our bodies, marriage and sex. And then thirdly, work. How we work is going to be under God's authority in this covenant. If the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the extraction of every debt, Nehemiah 10, 32. They said, our work, how we do our work is now underneath God's authority. And we're gonna do things the way God tells us to do things. Is that hard? Sure it is. I faced that. I was an engineer before becoming a pastor and did a lot of business kind of around the world. And we ended up having... Uh, a trip, myself and a sales guy, to China. While we're in China, China wins the 2008 Beijing Olympics. So we make these instruments that if you go online and you look at the air quality index, the machines that we made told you how bad the air is in real time. So you can kind of make decisions. Should I go outside? Should I stay inside? Well, Beijing's air, really, really bad. So they wanted our equipment because it's a EPA certified measurement. So it tells people this is legit. They wanted to buy a bunch of our equipment. 
However, they said, listen, your equipment reads 50% higher than your competitor's equipment. And we knew that their equipment was wrong. Ours was actually right. So they said this, if you will make your equipment read 50% less, we're gonna buy millions and millions and millions of dollars of these things. Big fat bonuses for me and the sales guy. So the sales guy's like, done, we'll do it. I felt, hmm, not supposed to do that. And everybody at Met One knew, I'm a Christian, I wore my faith on my sleeve, all that. So I went home that day and I just thought, how do I address this? How do I address this? Not my company, right? But how do I address this? So I prayed. And I called Tom that evening because you're 12 hours different. And I said, hey, yeah, I'm sure you heard about the deal. Big deal, yeah. I said, here's the deal, Tom, we can do that. You can put a fudge factor in, you can make it read half. You can make it read whatever you want. And I said, it's a gigantic amount of money, I get that. But I said, you better put some of that money into a war chest because we're gonna be sending people out, marathoners, to run in bad air. People with asthma to be outside when they should not be inside. And eventually there'll be a side-by-side -side comparison of our equipment to a real standard. And it'll be discovered it's reading half. And they're gonna face a lot of lawsuits. I said, go ahead, but look out, there'll be lawsuits. And that next day, Tom canceled the deal. I took my passion for Jesus, knew, hey, I'm not gonna say, hey, you know, quote a Bible verse. I need to say, what, how, as a believer that has standards, how do I bring this into a business world and for it to make sense in a business world? That's what we're supposed to be doing all the time. And don't you think God honors that? Do you know companies like Sabbath day right here, right? Do you know companies that have a Sabbath day? Hobby Lobby, right? Are they successful? Man, are they ever. How about another one? Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken, <laughs> right? <laughs> Are they successful? Oh my goodness. And I think God honors it when you say, everything is under your authority, God, including how I do my job. Love that. And the Bible has a penalty for not keeping the Sabbath. Do you know what it is? It's a death penalty which seems extreme, right? Here's why. When you decide to not do things God's way, it'll kill you. Like I've mentioned this before, Israel, which has all the same first world problems as we do, smoking, drinking, you know, sedentary lifestyle, all the things that we have. While our lifespan is about 76, Israel's is the longest of any nation. It's 84 years. Why? Every Saturday, they shut it down. Every Saturday, they Sabbath. Every Saturday, they say, we're not gonna do today. We're just gonna simply be, we're gonna be human beings for one day. And manna brings health to them. That God's commandments aren't trying to take something from us. They're to bless us. So they make a covenant to say, our work, our work is underneath God's authority. And then they make a covenant to be generous. Look at verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We're going to be generous. 
whole list of ways they're gonna be generous. Let me give you the one reason why I think you be, should be generous to God's stuff, to this, by God's word, godly acts. One reason, evil is well-funded today. Do you know that? Evil gets tons of money. There's a lot of money to be evil today. It's plenty funded. I'll give you a couple examples. I sent this out to all of staff. It's a Wall Street Journal article, and it's on TikTok. And you can just read it right there. TikTok feeds teens a diet of darkness, self-harm, sad posting, and disordered eating videos abound on the popular app. So here's what they did. These reporters went and they made these accounts that looked like they were 12 and 13 years old to see kind of where does TikTok steer a 12 and 13 year old? I'll read from you a quote from the article. You can look it up on your own. Quote, a recent study found that when researchers created accounts belonging to fictitious 13-year-olds, they were quickly inundated with videos about eating disorders, body image, self-harm, and suicide. That's TikTok, well-funded. Why in the world would a social media site want to feed 13-year-olds that? Why are we seeing a spike in suicide in America? Because evil, evil's well-funded. That's why. It's always well-funded. How about this one? So vaping. Vaping good or bad? It's bad for you. 97% of all vaping on TikTok is positive. Look how awesome you'll look. Man, you'll get the girl. You'll be prom, whatever it is. Why? Because the influencers get a kickback every time they talk about Jewel or whatever the, whatever the thing is that they're trying to sell. Evil is well-funded. Transgenderism. Why is transgenderism in like the last five or six years, why has it just exploded? Is this just a grassroots movement for them? There's an old saying, follow the money. So Pfizer and Pharma. Pharma is a group. You can look it up. P-H-R-M-A. It's a conglomeration those two groups gave $6.9 million to candidates. And you can hear them talk when you listen to the House of Representatives and when you listen to the Senate when it comes to transgender stuff. Now, why would Pfizer and Pharma do that? Here's why. You get a child hooked on cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers from the time that they're young and they all, you have a truncated life. Transgenders die about 10 years quicker than people that aren't on those drugs because you're fighting your own biology. And at the end of life, there's this sharp curve of all the drugs that you get on. So they know this. You get a young person hooked on this, millions and millions of dollars. They're investing in their future. Follow the money. Evil, evil is always well-funded. Those two groups also fund what's called the health care Equity index, have you seen that, H-E-I? Healthcare equity index, is, this is all it is. It's how a hospital or a group in the medical field, how they treat a child with gender dysphoria. Do they affirm that child? Do they drug that child? Do they mutilate that child? Do they sterilize that child? 
If you do those four things, you get a 100% from the Human Rights Campaign, which is a demonic organization. If you fail, you get a mm, 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 mm. And here's what that means now. Here's what that means. All the big money lenders look at the HEI to decide whether they will lend money to you or not. Follow the money. For me, the reason why I still write out a check and think about it is I'm reminding myself I am funding good. I'm funding godly stuff. I'm in opposition to all the funding that comes from technology and pharmaceuticals and our government with their whatever, right? I'm pushing back against that. Entertainment, all that, I'm pushing back against it. I'm funding it. And I write out that check and I'm so happy to partner with God in funding what is good and true and noble and right. All right, be generous. Be generous. They covenant to be generous. And then lastly, they covenant to respect God's house. End of the chapter. We will not neglect the house of our God. We're gonna take care of God's house. Two ways they do it. Verse 34, it says that we will prepare and chop wood for the fire. So here's what God had said a lot earlier. He said, in my house, I want a fire going 24-7, 365. Now, why would God want that? Because the fire was the place of forgiveness. You'd bring a lamb and you'd offer it on the altar. What God was saying is this, I want forgiveness to be offered to my people 24-7, 365, because I am a forgiving God. And so the people say, okay, if that's what God wants, we're covenanting now to supply enough wood to make sure this giant fire is burning 24-7, 365. How much wood is that? You're not talking about a fireplace that kind of keeps it. You're talking about just a bonfire. They're saying, we're going to make sure and serve. Serve. I think the greatest way into joy is to serve. I think the greatest way into community is to serve. I think the greatest witness to a world that's gone awry is to serve, to let our light so shine that men see our good works and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. We serve, right? And we got tons of ways to serve here. We have a piece of paper that's just called Find Your Lane. It's got like, I don't know, 15, 20 different things. You can just say, I'm interested in these things. We're starting a school called RCA. Tons of opportunities to serve at RCA. One of the big ones right now we need is we need volunteers who can do security. So if that's your kind of bent, if you got that kind of background, man, we can use you because I guarantee this, we're, we're turning on a light with RCA. And when God acts, Satan reacts. It's throughout the Bible. So we need people that can say, one day a week I can do that. I can come in there and make sure that we push back against darkness. If that's your heart, right back there's a booth, RCA, go sign up. We'll use you. Serve. It benefits the community. It benefits your heart. They say, we're gonna covenant to serve. Number two, we're going to covenant to make this sacred. For me, Sundays are sacred. You can ask my family. No matter what we did, and we traveled with soccer and everything, I would find a church on Sunday morning. You can ask them. That's the way I raised them. Sundays are God's day. We are going to honor and respect his house on Sundays. It's a priority of my life. And lastly, they worship. I think personally, the more I think about it, the only thing that we can actually offer and give to God 
is our praise and worship. Everything else kind of comes back to me, right? Well, wait, well, I pray, isn't that to God? No, it's really for me. I'm praying for my needs or my friend's needs. Or, right? It's almost always, it reflects back to me. Well, I read the Bible. Yeah, why? Because it helps me, right? It instructs me, it shapes me. Reading the Bible is really back to me. Well, wait, Matt, I give. Okay, here's what giving actually is. When Elijah, my 15-year-old, when he was like two or three years old, here's what he would do on my birthday, Christmas, and Father's Day. He would take something of mine and wrap it up, right? So I'd be like opening up, saying, like, thank you, buddy, I'd open up. It's like my wallet, bro. I have not been able to find my wallet for a week. I canceled all my credit cards. Thank you for giving my wallet back, right? Ugh, right? That's all giving is. I'm giving back to God what is his. I'm stewarding this stuff for a couple of decades, and then it goes back to him. I'm just giving back to him what he already owns, right? Praise, though. Praise. You're giving, Hebrews calls it the sacrifice of your lips. Why do I need to do that? Is he like, does God need that? And it's like this, mom, do you like it when your kids say, hey, mom, thanks for always having a clean house. Thanks for cooking dinner for us. Thanks for driving me to my friend's house and to school. Thanks for making sure and buying me new clothes around Christmas and around the new school year. Thank you. Thank you for that goofy haircut you gave me. Thanks, mom. <laughs> or your son or daughter comes to you, and go, you know what, dad? Thanks for always paying the mortgage. I didn't realize that. You just always paid the mortgage or paid the rent. I didn't realize that. As you went to work, 40 or 60 hours a week. Thank you for doing that. I didn't realize that sacrifice that you made. You just work. Wow, thank you for that. Thank you that the toilets in our house always flushed. Wow, thank you for that. Thank you that the grass was green that we could play on. How, what does that do for you? Man, it makes your heart sore. I think that's what happened. God's heart soars when we give him praise, when we respect his house, right? Covenanting. Right? This is a group of people. They've been in the Bible. They've been praying. They've been confessing sins. And they kind of found, hey, something's still missing here. We're still kind of, our tires are spinning. What else do we need to do? Let's make a covenant. Sometimes you can feel like the way in life. I just feel like, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years, but I've repeated the same year 20 times. Sometimes a covenant is that gift that launches you forward. So in 2023, this is the covenant. January 1st, I wrote this out, had been praying about it, thinking about it, and I covenanted in 2023, this is what I'm gonna be about. And I made a covenant to do this, right? Computer off, you can ask. Like, my, my family knows I learned to play the ukulele because I'm like, I'm off my computer at this time, doesn't matter. Played a lot of solitaire too. Read a lot. Affirming, I don't affirm very well. So this year, I'm gonna make sure and find people, email them, call them, text them, whatever it is, my own family to affirm the good things I see in them. So I just covenanted to do this. So how'd I do? Three months, I was golden, brilliant. And then I face planted, right? April 4th, had shoulder surgery. Some people probably go through it better than me. It just, I face planted. So all my good kind of endeavors and all the practice I had been putting into work, they just went out the door. And then this last week I'm reading Nehemiah chapter 10. I'm reminded of this and I'm so thankful God's mercies are new every morning. But this week I said, I'm recovenanting to finish 2023 this way. 
You know why? Because I liked the fruit from the first three months. I like what it did in my heart. I like the way my life was. I haven't liked the last, whatever, eight weeks. It's been like ugh, disjointed and I haven't liked it. So I've gone back. And maybe Nehemiah 10 is something that you need to study over and read over, think for yourself. You don't have to, just like you don't have to get married. But maybe the tire spinning, and they're going in circles. Maybe you're saying, I actually need this. Without vision, people perish. I need a goal. I need to head for something. And this is a great, great wisdom chapter for you.